You're listening to a resource from the Field Church in Mandeville, Louisiana. It is our joy to glorify God by treasuring Jesus in the preaching of His Word. We pray this resource will be a tool used to aid in your relationship with Christ in addition to your local church. Blood of Jesus, nothing but the blood. Nothing but the blood of Jesus, nothing but the blood. Nothing but the blood of Jesus, nothing but the blood. Nothing but the blood of Jesus, nothing but the blood. Amen. Good morning, everybody. Let's say uh, thank you to Pastor Taylor for leading our kids in singing. Taylor has a deep passion for instructing kids in this way. And so uh, we're thankful for it. And uh, most of our uh, people, uh, we couldn't fit another body in here in this first service. And so now um, we are, uh, most of the families uh, with the children have left. Uh, But let me just tell you that God wants to do a great work in your life uh, through these next, uh, through this next hour together. Okay, so uh, what we want to do is we want to really lock in and, and focus on God. God's word, God's word together. And so um, would you please open your Bible and turn with me to Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 4 through 9. Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 4 through 9. That's where we're going to spend our time together today. Um, in this short series, and really, I'll, I'll tell you, we're going to spend the most of our time on our memory verse uh, today, the majority of our time. We only have a few things left to say in our um, Deuteronomy 6 passage, so we're just going to really save that for about the last uh, five or ten minutes of today, um, and the rest of our hour will be spent with our memory verse. So um, again, in this short series, we've been focusing on the fact that God gives parents the primary responsibility of spiritually discipling their children, okay? This is under the sovereignty of God. The parent is helping the child to experience an awareness of their sin, true repentance from their sin, genuine saving faith, and then helping the child to live in relationship with God according to his word for their everlasting good and his everlasting glory. Okay, so that's what you're doing as a, child, as a parent for your children. Now, parents, I want to say this. Um, I, I have compassion uh, on you. This is one of the... Um, one of the most difficult tasks of your life, okay, to, to raise your child. This is why many give up on it. And this is why many um, focus their attention on their careers rather than their children because it's easier. It's honestly easier. And, and I say that so you know that this is full of compassion and shepherding because I know that some of you may feel as if you've already lost the battle. And let me tell you that you haven't. You haven't lost already. Because God is the X factor here. We do what God says, but God is the X factor. We can't forget about God. right? He is the one who does what is impossible for us to do. But we also must be faithful with our part. And this is what this short three-week series has been about. And 
This will be the last week of it, and then we'll move back into Luke, okay? We're about halfway done with Luke, and, uh, and we'll move right back into that. So I say this with compassion, and I say this with uh, an understanding that this is difficult. It's hard. It's hard to figure out what's going on. Only God can do the work in your child's heart that you want him to do. Um, so before we read our, our passage at the end and talk about it, let's recite our monthly memory verse and discuss it. That's what we're going to spend most of our time discussing today, really because it just supports our verse, any, our, our passage anyway. There's only a few things left to be said, as I mentioned, and this just supports it. Um, it just, it, it's, uh, it's another support of it. Uh, so to speak, our memory verse supporting our, our passage. And so this is just all kind of coming together as one big truth of, of how we disciple our children. But Ephesians 4, 6, can you try to do it with your eyes closed? Maybe. Close your eyes. Try to recite it without looking. Ready? Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Try it again. Don't look. Ready? Go. You just do it. All right, I heard a little like, there's like it was like a, a, a symphony here where one was saying one thing and another was saying another, and it was all working together. Try it one more time. Ready? Here we go. Take a good look at it. Say it. Eyes closed. Go ahead. Do it. There you go. Good job, everybody. So listen, if you weren't here last week, I encourage you to go back and listen to the podcast, okay? Please do that. You should go back and listen. Because in understanding our memory verse, what we talked about last week is the first portion. We said two weeks ago that the job of the parent can be summarized as two things. Ready, parents? Listen. In the Lord, you're, you're, the summary of what you're called to do is called is discipline and discipleship. This is, this is what the scriptures tell us, okay? Discipline and discipleship. Last week, we focused on the first portion of this memory verse, which is, fathers do not provoke your children to anger, but, okay? Now, what we focused on is, is that this is the, there's a wrong thing to do, and then there's a right thing to do. Do not provoke them, your, your children to anger, but instead, bring them up in the discipline and discipleship of the Lord. So this portion that we're talking about this week, the second portion, this is what is right. This is what should be obeyed by Christian parents. This is what we should do. This is what parents who know God through Christ should do. This is parents who aim to make their children Christians. Play, made, played, said plain and simply. And, and simple. This is what parents who aim to make their children Christians should do, not just make them good, upstanding citizens. So if you don't want to make your child a Christian, don't do this. If you do, this is the, this is the path, okay? By teaching them the gospel, guiding them in the Bible, parents who are set apart as God's people and who aim to make their children set apart as God's people. This is the this is the, um, this, these are the instructions. We do so by not provoking them in selfish and sinful provoking, but instead of that, bringing them up or raising them in 
the discipline and instruction of the Lord. So we're going to focus for a while here on biblical discipline. Okay, because I think we don't talk about it enough in the church, and a lot of people do have questions about it. Now, I say this, um, and I want to tell you that none of this in this series is coming from anything that I've figured out. Like, okay, Pastor Sam here has a a lot of insight. He's got a lot of wisdom in this. He he knows what to do. This his kids, you know, he's figured it out with them. My kids are still young. We I have three, and and the fourth one is on the way. And and I pray with all my heart that the Lord does a work and and saves them. And he's got to do that, right? It's not me that has figured this out. Together in this, we're we're exploring together what the Bible says about these things. Okay, that's the, that's the, that's the heart here. We're, let's explore together what the objective truth of the scriptures say in this. And then let's go do this together. Okay, so let's start with this. Why does the Bible instruct the Christian parent to discipline their child? Let's start with why. Okay, why does the Bible instruct the Christian parent to discipline their child? We should first note that we can learn this answer from two places, okay? Two places. The first place is explicit instruction to the parent. Um, That is the first place. Like, you can't mistake it. It just says, mom, dad, do this, right? And so many of those purposes give us great reasons and purposes as to why we should discipline our children. The second place is by learning this from inference. And what I mean by inference is, the Bible often compares the Lord's discipline of us to the discipline that we provide for our children. Okay? Here's one example, one place. Deuteronomy 8.5. Know then in your heart that as a man disciplines his son, the Lord your God disciplines you. So, inference from how the Lord disciplines because the Lord will bring discipline in your life if you are truly his child, right? Sometimes it'll be as a result of your sin. Other times it will just be on his own initiating work because you don't even know what you need. And he does. And he needs to bring a great work in your heart and he will initiate that work without you even knowing that you need it. And he'll bring life to your life for the rest of your life by initiating disciplinary work. Sometimes it's as a direct result of, of your, your sin. But God will be doing this in your life, Christian. Suffering is, is the main way in which God grows the Christian. Suffering is a good thing in a lot of ways. You can cling tightly to it for the rest of your life because God is gonna use it in, in incredible ways for you to grow, okay? But listen, this is what he does. And we can compare and we can see our discipline for our children through, through this in observing his discipline of us, okay? And we shouldn't despise that. Don't be weary through it um, because uh, when we embrace that, the Lord does, does such great work in us. He makes us so much more godly. Um, don't hit eject on Christ during, during that time, during suffering or discipline, okay? Here we go. So we have time to mention, I'm gonna mention six reasons here as to why the Lord tells the Christian parent to bring discipline into the life of a child. Number one is love. Discipline is a way to love your child. 
Okay, that's how the Bible describes it. Look at Hebrews 12, four through eight. In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. And have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? If you are left without discipline in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. If this child, church, listen to me. If this child was not your child, then it would be normal for you to be unconcerned or at the very least, not responsible for their life. But because they are your children, because this child is your child and you love them, you discipline them for their good. This also shows us that not to bring discipline into a child's life is actually unloving. It's actually unloving, like letting them get, become accustomed to sin. Proverbs 13 says you can liken it to hate if you don't discipline your children. You might think you love them, but if you're not disciplining in the way that the Bible describes, you can liken that to, to hate. Proverbs 13, 24, whoever spares the rod hates his son. The parent who loves and delights in their child dis disciplines their child. Proverbs 3, 11 through 12 says, my son, do not despise the Lord's discipline or be weary of his reproof for the Lord reproves him who he loves as a father, the son in whom he delights. Delight in your kids, discipline. Number two, second purpose is reproof. Reproof. Now, before you move away from this uh, too quickly, I want you to hear what this means. This means to show them their sin. You can think about it as almost giving them proof. To accuse them. That's part of the definition of this. Reproof to accuse them, to blame them for their sin. That's what the Bible says. In other words, to shed light on, the, on their guilt of their sin. Proverbs 3, 11 through 12 says, my son, do not despise the Lord's discipline or be weary of his reproof. For the Lord reproves him who he loves as a father, the son in whom he delights. Whoever, Proverbs 12, 1, loves discipline, loves knowledge, but he who hates reproof is, is stupid. Not my words, God's words, right? Reproof is one of the things that the word of God provides us with, an awareness of guilt and sin, an awareness of guilt and sin. Look at this in 2 Timothy 3, 16 through 17. This is what the word of God does for us. Watch the progression here. Ready? 
All scripture is breathed out by God and is profitable for teaching. So it shows us what's right. Here's why the word of God is profitable in your life. Shows you what's right. Reproof shows you where you've erred. Correction turns you from that back to God. And then training in righteousness so you live in it the rest of your life. That's a beautiful progression right there. Our children need to be made aware of their sins. In in other words, they must recognize it. In simple terms, they must agree with God that their sin is sin. That's what you're helping them do in discipline. You're helping them to agree with God. This This action here, this word here, this demeanor here, this motive here, this heart here is sin. This is the foundational aspect of them seeing their need for a savior one day to where they recognize sin as sin. Jesus said, I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. That is not that any are righteous apart from Christ's work, but that some think that they are. Some think that they are, that they have done nothing that is deserving of death in God's eyes, that they think they can be right with God through their moral life or their religious responsibilities. But he has come to call those, even though everyone is a sinner, those who are aware of their sin and who agree with God about it. Only then will they wish to turn away from their sin, receive forgiveness for their sin, and to trust in Christ who provides it. And so you are helping them to become aware of sin. By the way, parents, also let me note that this is why you should call your child sin, sin. With explicit, definitive language, call sin, sin, not anything less or anything else. Because this will help them to understand their actions, their words to be sin. This, is, this will help them understand the weight of sin. And can I tell you this? When they learn to read, this will help them to identify when they read the Bible. It will help them to identify with the truths in the Bible when they read it. So when they read about sin and, that they read, and, they, and they read that Christ came to save sinners, they won't say when they read, sin is something far worse than I am guilty of, right? Sin must be far worse than what I am guilty of. I just do bad things once in a while. We want to help them use the language of the Bible so when they read the Bible, they identify with its language, Okay? And even if there is a list of sins in the Bible that they can't relate to because there are some serious lists of sins, they might say, well, I I, I don't relate to these, but I know in my heart, with my words, with my motives, with my actions, that I am sinful. I am that guilty sinner who Christ came to save. You must help them come to this place. Discipline is a rebuke of sin. Proverbs 13, 1. Wise son, a wise son hears his father's instruction, but a scoffer does not listen to rebuke. Right? Okay. Number three. Stay with me. Number three is holiness. The reason for your disciplining of your children is to make them holy. 
So we love them. So we want to expose to them their sin. And then we want to help them to become holy. That is to say this, discipline will rid them of their sinful ways and help them to become more like Christ. Okay? It will help them to be set apart from the ways of the world. Hebrews 12, 9 through 10 tells us clearly. Besides this, we have had earthly fathers who disciplined us and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time as it seemed best to them, but he disciplines us for our good that we may share in his holiness. Christ makes us holy and blameless through his life and his death and his resurrection. Listen to this, ready? Check this out. Christ makes us holy and blameless through his life and his death and his resurrection. And then we, for the rest of our lives, are made into what we are already declared to be. Okay? So you are made holy when you trust in Christ, sins forgiven, justified before God, eternity with God forever. He looks upon you and delights in you as your sins have been forgiven because they have been attributed to Christ and he's taken the wrath of God on your behalf. He's been your substitute. He's atoned for your sin, right? And then for the rest of your life, you are made into what you are already declared to be, which is to be holy and perfect. Philippians 3, 16, 16 says this just clearly. Only let us hold true to what we have already attained. You attained it, Christian. Now hold true to it. This is what we are helping a child to do, to be made holy. Okay? God has called us to live holy, set apart, and blameless lives. Look at this in 1 Peter 1, 14 through 16. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. Don't be conformed to the world, to the passions of your former ignorance. Don't be conformed to that. It's not cool. It's not good. It's not going to do you well for your life and your eternity. But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy for I am holy. Which can I tell you, parent, for just a minute? Take a step back for a second and just hear this. You should not be concerned with what the world says about Christians being weird or being different or being out of touch with reality. Don't be concerned with that. Specifically, I know sometimes parents are a little bit too concerned with that. Listen, if you are living in a holy way, you will be weird. You will be different from the world. If you fit in, you should be concerned. Aim and strive to be different in the way that God calls us. Let's imagine this for a moment. Imagine if God came and walked the earth. Wait a second. He, he did. His name was Jesus, right? And what did that look like? Well, he sure was different, right? And can I tell you, what would it be like if he came right now? He would be different, weird, set apart, pure. I think of purity as like a, 
There's just an armor in the front and the back and the sides and nothing is penetrating through that armor. Everything inside is just pure, right? Like that's what he would be completely. So as the one who is living in a holy way, you will be different and weird to the world. This is what the picture is of God. He is entirely different, weird, set apart in the eyes of the world. We are called to be like him. So listen, don't fight that nor fight it with your children. Embrace that. If you are becoming more like God, you will become increasingly different from the world. That is normal in God's economy. Holiness is a good thing and people may shame you for it, but we shouldn't try to be holy and stay relevant. It's not the purpose of your life. God never tells you to temper your holiness. He only tells you to go all in on it. That's it. So number four, training in righteousness. This means that discipline teaches a child to quickly turn away from sin and to immediately obey. Training in righteousness how to do what is right when he or she knows what is right. Okay, discipline will provide this. Hebrews 12, 11. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Again, this is the same thing that the scripture says it does for us. It teaches us what is right in God's eyes and how to live out what we know to be right. 2 Timothy 3.16, all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for what? Training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. That's what we are making our children, complete, equipped for every good work, training in righteousness. In other words, your discipline will teach a child, your child, to live for God according to his word. This is the simple way to say this, which is why then discipline, listen, listen real close. Discipline should include discussion and instruction. It should include the gospel, which I will tell you how more specifically in a few moments. It should include instruction from the word. Discipline should include these things explicitly with your words about the Bible. And I, I, I say this with a lot of emphasis because um, I, I don't know why, but within our culture, we'll leave this series and we've talked about discipleship in such a way that has been just like, I'm just repeating myself about the explicit word of God being used in your child's life as the only means that will help them become disciples. And I've said it so many times, but I, I know because I've already heard it and had discussions um, that there's still confusion in, this, in the sense that I'm learning so much. Okay, What? Well, in my discipleship, what specifically? Oh, well, I'm going to be more patient. I'm going to, I'm going to, um, I'm going to be more active, more present as a parent. And I, and I want to say that's good, but I'm not sure how else to say words that are on pages in Bible needs to be talked about, shared explicitly, read them verses and talk about the words of the verses. 
to the child so that they hear truth. They will know the truth and the truth will set them free. Let them be transformed by the renewal of their mind. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. The word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, dividing the soul and the spirit, discerning the thoughts and the motives of the heart. All scripture is God-breathed and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness. The Bible is what makes Christians. And the Bible is what helps Christians to live as Christians. So this is absolutely essential. And this is what should be coming out of your mouths while you're disciplining. Okay? So Bible verses, Bible passages. Your ultimate aim is to help them receive Christ and to live obediently to him out of a heart of understanding for him, of him and a love for him, not to just make them good. Discipline is an opportunity to teach them the gospel and the word of God. Discipline will train them in this way. And, I'll, and I'm gonna show you a, a little bit more into how maybe you can do that in a moment. Discipline will train them and even train them not to sin. Listen, look at what Paul says. It's interesting. He says this about himself. I discipline my body and keep it under control, lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. So this is to keep him from sinning and to live righteously. That's the idea here. Number five, to provide wisdom and knowledge. Along the same lines as training in righteousness, listen, discipline will teach your children knowledge and wisdom. What is that? Let's summarize it as this, okay? Knowledge and wisdom can be understood as understanding reality. That might sound simple or cliche, but that's what it is. Reality, meaning this, God's reality, okay? God's reality into what it means to be a Christian. The reality of God, the reality of the world, the reality of the consequences of sin, the reality of eternity, and the list goes on. This is reality. If you want to make your children knowledgeable and wise to the greatest truths and realities in all the universe, this is the way things will work. This is the way you will impart to them what is really true by disciplining them. Proverbs 29, 15, just look at the verses. The rod of reproof gives what? Is what? Wisdom. But a child left to himself brings shame to his mother. How about this one? Proverbs 12, 1. Whoever loves discipline loves what? Knowledge. But he who hates reproof is stupid. Proverbs 15, 32 through 33. Whoever ignores instruction despises himself. But he who listens to reproof gains intelligence. The fear of the Lord is instruction and wisdom. Humility comes before honor. So wisdom and knowledge. And lastly, number six in this category, discipline will save your child from death. Discipline is for the purpose of saving your children from death. That is this, saving them from premature death directly related to the consequences of sin and saving them from eternal death. Proverbs 23, 13 through 14 says, do not withhold discipline from a child. If you strike him with a rod, he will not die. 
If you strike him with a rod, you will save his soul from Sheol. Exodus 20, 12 says, honor your father and your mother that your, day, that, that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. Ephesians 6, one through three says, children obey your parents and the Lord for this is right. Honor your father and your mother. This is the first commandment with the promise that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Sin brings forth death. We know that. Proverbs 19, 18, discipline your son for there is hope. Let that sink in. Parents, discipline your son for there is hope for their life. Do not set your heart on putting him to death. That is to say, do not withhold discipline. That would be setting your heart upon leading them to death. And can I tell you, discipline, listen, discipline will not only lead to life for your child, but it will also protect other children and families in which your children interact with. Don't think that your child will sin to themselves. It will affect their peers as well, which is why Proverbs 10, 17 says, whoever heeds instruction is on the path to life, but he who rejects reproof leads others astray. So these are just six reasons that the Bible gives us about blessings of discipline and reproof. And again, because this only continues to support the instruction from our passage in Deuteronomy and is, there's very little left to say, I'm gonna mention a few things at the end about our passage, but this kind of keeps our mind full of Bible verses about this and just continuing to educate us in this and really support one main big thing of family discipleship. I wanna now spend a few minutes on addressing how the Bible instructs a Christian parent to discipline their child. Number, number the second heading here. Now, how does the, the Bible instruct the Christian parent to discipline their, their children? How? We have time to mention five aspects. So, a parent's discipline. Okay, now we're in like, we're in the gym here now, okay? The point is to grow you, to stretch you. So if it feels like a lot. Um, you don't go to the gym to come out the same. That's why we have long sermons and we stretch you. That's why we have a lot of Bible verses to grow you. The point is that you would change and be conformed into his image and, and, and be stretched. Um, so this, this is the point here. So let these Bible verses like continue to hit you in the face <laughs> and, and continue to grow you until you become more like him, okay? So uh, this first one, uh, I say this with love, but it's, it's, we're exploring this truth together. But a parent's discipline of their child, number one, should be physical and painful. It should be physical and it should be painful. This is what the scriptures give to us. The first thing the scriptures teach us that discipline should be from the parent is primarily physical and painful. Proverbs 23, 13 through 14. Do not withhold discipline from a child. If you strike him with a rod, he will not die. If you strike him with a rod, you will save his soul from Sheol. Proverbs 29, 15 says, the rod and reproof give wisdom, but a child left to himself brings shame to his mother. 
Proverbs 13, 24 says, whoever spares the rod hates his son, but he who loves him is, diligently, is diligent to discipline him. Proverbs twenty two fifteen says, folly is bound up in the heart of a child. I love this verse. But the rod of discipline will drive it far from them. Hebrews 12, 11 through 13 says, for the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant. But later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Therefore, lift your drooping heads and strengthen your weak knees and make straight paths for your feet so that what is lame may not be put out of joint, but rather be healed. Listen, church, this is not a cultural thing. This is not an expired thing, meaning we must move on to now more sophisticated and, uh, and uh, acceptable forms of discipline in this day and age. One of the reasons that God gives this as the primary form of discipline is because this is a consistent way. It doesn't have to vary. Every child has a body and every child feels physical pain, every single one of them. So God has wisely provided a method that is within the parent's ability. Parents are generally bigger and stronger, and this is for a good purpose. This is a method given by God that doesn't have to vary based upon what the parent has access to. This is very wise of God. He doesn't leave us scurrying around trying to figure out what works. He says this will work if you are consistent with it. Of course, there is discussion that should be had about a child that grows up in their later years. What do we do here? Um, and, uh, and there can be discussion, but physical discipline yields instant, immediate, and timely results. And God knows that. He's wise. God doesn't only show us this method, um, but he shows it also should be primary. Now, to be sure, there are other ways in which God disciplines in the scriptures, okay? What are those other ways? Well, he takes things away. Right? What does he do? He takes things away. What does he take away in the scriptures? Takes away kingdoms, takes away properties, takes away provisions. He takes away life. All of those can be seen in the scriptures as methods of discipline. But we should be careful to use that as the primary method of discipline. Why? Because those things are undeserved privileges anyway. Gracious gifts from mom and dad that they did not deserve. And in a way, it positions you to be obligated to give them back when they repent. And so use your God-given authority to remove privileges and things. That's okay, but still, and still useful, but especially in the teenage years. But early on, the primary thing that we see from the scriptures is physical and, and painful. Now, to be sure, listen, parent, this doesn't permit you to be excessive or to discipline out of anger. Rightly done, this should be stern. This should be calm. This should be self-controlled. This should be out of a heart that doesn't want the sin to remain in the heart of your child, nor does it want to have to perform the very act of discipline that you are about to perform. You may have to take time to get your heart right. And oftentimes it will require immediacy, but there should be no sin in it. Colossians 3.20 says, children, obey your parents in everything for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not provoke your children lest they become discouraged. It's a balance here. And let me just encourage you parents before I move on to the second one. With small children, listen, close. Don't neglect this early. 
early because this will be far easier to provide a spank that scares them more than it really leaves any lasting pain. For a three-year-old that doesn't come when you tell them to or touches the hot stove again after being instructed not to or who acts out sinfully, it will be far easier than it will be for you to figure out how to make up for the years of not doing so when you have a grown 13-year-old man. That will be far more difficult. Discipline will feel much harder. It will feel much less, much less effective. It will be full of uncontrollable responses at that age. Do the work while they, were young, while they are young in the small things. The small things matter. Teaching them to obey in the very, very small minutia of their life will translate to them being obedient in the bigger things. Number two, discipline should be persistent. I'm moving fast because I'm trying to give you guys everything here. Discipline should be persistent. Stay with me. You just got one hour to lock and load and then you, you're free, okay? You got, I'm trying to help you here. This is the, the word of God. It's a privilege for us to, to look at and to listen to. It's teaching us for our good. Meaning this, if discipline doesn't take, do it again. And if they continue in the exact same sins, discipline again for the exact same sins. Here's what I mean by this, what the Bible means by this. For their good, do not give up. Do not give up for their good. You can do this. You can win what seems to be a losing battle. I tell you just out of a vulnerable uh, picture, I've had times when, my children, um, at certain ages, they will go through various hormonal stages, I'm sure, and spiritual as well, where they are flailing in my arms, angry, screaming. And I've had to hold them tight in my arms over the period of a couple hours, engaging in this battle, continuing to spank over time. Eventually, they will give up. They will have no more energy. You will sit and hold them while they catch <laughs> their <laughs> breath, right? And with tears in the eyes, they will sit there and they will know that you love them. And that you will not give up on them. And that you will drive their sin far from them. They will learn and they will change. Proverbs 13, 24 says, whoever spares the rod hates his son, but he who loves him is, look at this word, diligent to discipline them. Be diligent, persistent. There must be a diligence and a persistence in your discipline. If not, here's what you will teach them, parent. You will teach them that if they persist long enough, if they continue long enough, if they fight long enough, or persist in their sins long enough, or hold out long enough, they will win out, you will give in, and they will have their sinful ways. And that will teach them more than you understand about their lives. Can I tell you, as much as this hurts your heart as parents, as much as it's hurt our hearts, because I didn't grow up with this, 
learn how to do this from the word of God, it is truly amazing how having these unrelenting parents shows a kid the very opposite of what you might think. Do you know that without this, your child will feel scared, even if they can't identify it with words. They will feel vulnerable. Without this, they will feel alone in the world of sin. Even if they can't identify why they feel like that, it will be because of a lack of discipline. But with this kind of persistent discipline, they will feel protected and they will feel safe. And can I tell you how many times I look at Casey after one of my children come and immediately I've disciplined them and they immediately come in for a hug and grab my leg and wrap my, their arms around my leg, clinging on to me after I just disciplined them saying, I love you, daddy. Right? And I look at Casey with a smile and almost disbelief at how this act of discipline brought them more joy after, made them sure of my love for them more after and made them assure of their love for me after. It brings, listen, listen, it brings rest. Putting bumpers on the lane like this, it provides rest for them, relief. It takes away their options of sin. It brings clarity to their world and simplicity to their lives. A sinful desire should not be pursued. That will be made clear and that will make their life easier, not harder. Hebrews 12, nine, besides this, we have had earthly fathers who disciplined us and we respected them for it. That's what will happen. Respect them for it. Number three, predictable. Again here, and I'm just gonna mention this, is the idea of diligent. That's where I'm getting this from the verse that Texas tells us to be diligent. There's a predictability here that means consistent discipline. So dads especially, they're not wondering what's coming, if it's coming. Is dad in a good mood? Will he let this one just slide? Let me observe here, dip my toe in the water and wonder if this time he will spank me or just say no or just give up or just, or what he will do this time based upon his mood. This confuses the child and encourages them to test the waters. But if you are consistent and they know what to expect when they sin, it will be the most loving thing you can do. Listen, dad, it is unloving to, be, to provide sporadic, inconsistent, unpredictable, fluctuating discipline. That is unloving. And you are working against yourself if your aim is to be consistent and for them to be consistent in their obedience. Number four, got to move. It should be instructional. Your discipline should include instruction. Proverbs 15, five, a fool despises his father's instruction, but whoever heeds reproof is prudent. Proverbs 22, six, train up a child in the way he should go. And even when he is old, he will not depart from it. Ephesians 6, four, fathers do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Proverbs 13, one, a wise son hears his father's instruction, but a scoffer does not listen to 
his rebuke. Remember, parents, the overwhelming theme of our Deuteronomy passage about discipleship is to give the explicit word. So this is instruction. It isn't only what to do next or what not to do, but it's giving them explicit Bible verses about their sin, verses about how to live, verses about why God expects this, verses about God's heart in this, verses about these things. For instance, when, we talk, when they talk disrespectfully, you could say, our God teaches us in Ephesians 4.29, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths. Right? This is what he says. Okay. And you could say also the verses that tell us what to do instead is Ephesians 4.29 goes on to say, but only such as good for building up as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. So you have to know your Bible, parents. You gotta know your Bible. What are you gonna say if you don't? You gotta know it. How are you gonna answer the question? How are you gonna point them to God's word? You gotta know your Bible. You gotta know it. And this is a good reason for you to join the reading of the whole Bible in a year that we left those sheets on the back by the Bible. Grab one and start with us January 1st. You gotta know your Bible explicitly. Listen, this is instruction. You might give them instruction, you should, from the gospel. Stay with me. 1 Peter 3.18 says, For Christ also suffered for sins once, once for sins. Listen, for Christ, child, I love you. Look it, let me tell you something. Christ also suffered for sins. But he was righteous. He didn't sin. And he did it for us who were the unrighteous, who did sin. That he might bring us to God so that he can be so that we could come into relationship with the Father. He was put to death. That was his punishment in the flesh. But he's made alive in the spirit. You might say after they sinned, you might share how Christ paid for those very sins that, you, that they just committed so that they don't have to receive an eternal punishment. You might teach them how Christ learned to obey through what he suffered. That's what the Bible says. In Hebrews 5, 8, although he was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered. You might teach them that. Number five, lastly, it should be loving. Your discipline should be loving. Now, we've already talked about that this should be the heart of love, but I must say also this should be how the very part, this implies the very act should be loving, okay? Let me tell you, therefore, although discipline will hurt, although discipline will hurt, Your, your tone, your language, your positioning should be stern, but it should be gentle and it should be meek. Proverbs 29, 11 says, a fool gives full vent to his spirit, but a wise man quietly holds it back. Our memory verse tells us not to provoke a child to anger. So parents, listen, let me tell you, stay with me. This does not exempt you from showing the fruits of the spirit. This does not exempt you from what Ephesians 4 says, walking in a manner worthy of your calling with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the spirit through the bond of peace. This does not exempt you from this. Uh, 
Psalm, listen to this, Psalm 103, 13 through 14 says, as a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. So you should have compassion. Look at this, for he knows our frame and he remembers that we are dust. Know their frame, dad. Know their frame and bring compassion. This means sometimes, let me tell you this, This sometimes means that you should hold their hand and you should say this. What you deserve right now, son, is for mommy and daddy to bring discipline to you. But I'm gonna show you grace. I'm gonna show you grace and not give you what you deserve. Right? Not every time. Don't use this as an excuse. Not to discipline. Grace is, is not a permission for sin, but instead it lets them understand what God's grace looks like too. And here's what you're doing when you do this. You want to see if they're maturing enough for the, for the act of grace to lead them to repentance. Are they maturing enough for that act of grace to still cause them to move towards repentance? And you're observing that. Romans 2, 4, or do you presume on the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? One day they will, if when they come to know Christ, they will move into a place of already being forgiven and already being shown grace through Christ. And they must understand obedience motivated by their love for God rather than duty or fear of punishment. So as Christians, we want to help them learn to obey even though they have received grace and forgiveness already. Are they there yet? Not learning as, as a permission of sin, but being motivated towards obedience and the grace that, in light of the grace that they've already received. Or are they, will they live however they want and use that as a freedom, right? Then you must come back and perform discipline. Listen, put the bumpers on the lane and then spread them a little bit and see what happens. And they might not be able to have enough responsibility to have those things spread. So bring them back. And then br- bring them out again. And then bring them back. And see, see if they respond in repentance and faith, right? Showing you them grace. Um, so back to our memory verse for a moment. Um, Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger. Bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. I want to talk briefly just for a moment about what it means for the other aspect, instruction of the Lord. This further addresses our Deuteronomy passage, which we'll read in just a few minutes. And I'm just going to spend a few minutes on that. Um, So follow with me. I'm just gonna mention this because it's right in line with what we've already been talking about. What's the instruction of the Lord? Or as we've called it, discipleship. Well, listen, listen close, ready? What is meant by instruction of the Lord? What does it it mean? What is meant by instruction of the Lord? Well, this means a lot of what we've already said, but I will tell you again, this what it means is Bible. Bible, Bible, B-I-B-L-E. Yes, that's the book for you and your parenting, okay? Bible, think of it this way. You wanna keep their minds filled up with the word of God. You never wanna create any kind of deficit. Let them stay with the word of God on their minds, okay? So let me just divide this up. Let me divide this up for you, okay? This, this uh, division here is, uh, this, this division here is, is, is truly just for technical purposes, it's important, but it's not that 
important. What I mean by that is these two inevitably overlap every time. You can't really divide these, but I'm doing this just for technical purposes, just to provide you with clarity. The first is teaching and the second is training. Okay, so teaching and training. You, you can't technically divide these up. Teaching will always involve training. Training will always involve teaching in the word of God. But I'm dividing these up just for, for technical purposes to bring clarity to your minds, okay? It's as simple as it sounds. Discipleship is teaching, instruction, teaching, telling them what the Bible says. So they become aware of something that they do not know. How will they know unless someone teaches, right? They will understand the meaning. You see Jesus taught in the synagogues, but then he trained his disciples on the road to Jerusalem. And of course, these go hand in hand. The word of God, Paul says, will do this. Look at the second Timothy three. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for what? For what? Teaching. I would put maybe the rest in the latter category of training, reproof, correction, training in righteousness. Paul advises Timothy in 1 Timothy 1, as I urged you when you were in Macedonia, remain at Ephesus so that you may charge certain persons not to teach any different doctrine. Jesus says, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them, but they are also to observe it. Or again, Paul commands in 1 Timothy chapter 4, command and teach these things. So teaching should be brought to impart the knowledge that they are unaware of from the word of God, the instruction. Um, this teaching, listen, Bible, verses, commands, gospel, narrative, listen, listen, the narrative of the whole Bible, doctrine, systematic theology with textual support. What do we believe about God? What do we believe about sin? What do we believe about, that's good about evangelism, even if you don't call it this, you may give them, you must give them hermeneutical principles. What does that mean? Hermeneutics is the study of studying the Bible. How do we do that properly? You must give that to them. Exposition, meaning how do I pick apart verses and learn? Topics with textual support. Have them read the Bible, read them the Bible, explain them the verses, have them memorize the Bible, 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 Bible. They need, we need Christians who know the Bible, who understand the Bible. How will they know what it says if you don't teach them, right? They, you don't want them to just take your word for it. And you don't want them to grow up taking other people's word for it. Salvation comes from hearing, hearing from the word of God, Romans 10, 17. Romans 12, 2, don't be conformed, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. John 17, 17, sanctify them in the truth. Your word is, is truth. Let me mention this, okay? And we're just gonna read a few verses for a second to close out. The reasons why so many Christians grow up thinking that truth is undiscoverable and only can come from the pastor is because the mom and dad never taught them that. Listen, I have people asking me questions sometimes and I love that. I always encourage you to do that because that's my job, to teach you the truth. But it takes me a few moments, only a few moments when I receive that text of digging around in the scriptures. And then I can provide that person with an answer. That's all it took me is a few moments of digging around in the scriptures and then I can provide you with an answer. And I think to myself, they could have done that too. And I think to myself, why is their first inclination to ask me? And I know that again, that that is my job, but my point is this, you can do it. Just open your Bible, dig around and teach them to do the same. Follow the trails, the words closely. It's the only way you're gonna learn this. Don't train them to be adults who just take it as a foregone conclusion that the that the truth of the scriptures is beyond them and there's no way for them to ever know. So they must just hope and wish and think, right? Teach them to dig around in the text. 
And then there's training. Training in this, all I'll say about this is, this deals with the life. This is what I mean by this training. This deals with correction, application, discussion, obedience, living it out. Teach them how to live out the Bible principles and promises that you taught them. What to do, what not to do, and believing what they believe. How this can be applied to every situation, feeling, sin, action, relationship, habit. You are teaching them the word of God and then bringing it into their lives. Okay? First Timothy 4, 7, rather train yourself for godliness. For while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way as it holds promise for the present, of, present life and for the life to come. So let me tell you, this of course is gonna take prayer from you parents. You can do all of this. God's gotta do the work in the heart. Bible, prayer, discipline, teach, train, pray. Now, just for a moment, look with me at Deuteronomy 6. And give me five minutes here. Deuteronomy 6. Four through nine. Read this with me. I want to point out one last thing as we close out this passage. Number, verse four. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. We've already talked about all of this. You shall teach them diligently to your children, shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, when you rise. Here's our verses. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand. They shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them as door, uh, on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. Five Categories I just want to point out to you real quick. First, what I want to point out to you is the opposites that are used here and why. There's opposites all the way from verse seven, all the way through verse nine. Listen, ready? Teach them diligently. Talk of them when you walk, by the way. Sit, walk, lie down, rise. Sign on hand, frontlets between your eyes. Doorposts, house. Why the opposites? Well, there's one intentional thing that is being done here and it's to illuminate one thing. Illuminate one thing, every part of your life always without fail. There's no category without this, right? That's what's being said here. Second thing I wanna point out to you. Notice in these verses, the frequency that each aspect has in dealing with the home or the family. Children, sitting in house, lying down, rising, doorposts, gates. The family is front and center here, okay? Third thing I want you to notice, notice the pronouns. You sh from verse seven all the way through, you shall teach them, teach them, talk of them, bind them, they shall be, write them. What does that refer to? Well, look at verse six. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart, you shall teach them, and then the pronouns continue. What it is referring to is the words, the commands, what the New Testament would describe and refer to as the word, the word of God, the scriptures, the whole counsel of God, which we call the Bible. Once again, to reiterate the same point that I've been reiterating, the Bible, okay? The fourth thing that I wanna point out to you is um, what is meant by these specifics, just briefly. 
hands. What is meant, if you wanted to, to divide this up and to learn a little bit, what you could say is hands refer to the doing. Remember the word of God, recite the word of God, read the word of God, think about the word of God while you are doing. Colossians 3.23, whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men. Exodus 13, 16, it should remind you of what the Lord has done by thinking about the Lord while you're doing. It shall be a mark on your hands, frontlets between your eyes. For, here's the reason, by a strong hand in his doing, the Lord brought us out of Egypt. Frontlets between your eyes, referring to the, not the doing, but the meditating, the thinking, right? Keeping God's words within your sights and on your mind. Okay, Exodus 13, nine, it shall be to you as a sign on your hand, as a memorial between your eyes, that the law of the Lord may be in your mouth. With a strong hand, the Lord has brought you out of Egypt. Doorposts of your house, me referring to the coming in and the going out, remembering the word of God. As you enter, the way that should characterize you in your home and exit out of your home, word of God. And then on your gates, can refer to the word of God representing your family. As outsiders look upon your family, this is what they should see. It protects you from the outside, the word of God does, and it keeps you on the inside, the word of God does. That's what a gate does. Now, number five, last thing I want you to notice as a way of caution. Look at this verse in Matthew 23, one through seven. And let me say this before I show you this and then we're done. The Pharisees took these verses to verses eight through nine as literal means of self-exaltation. They practiced these commands by writing these things, these commands on leather, uh, on leather pouches, call, uh, on piece of paper and putting them in leather pouches called phylacteries. And then they literally bound these things on their arms, on their hands, on their forehead with leather straps. Those are called phylacteries. They took these, this literally, Right, And it wasn't a means of it being in your heart and being used, but it was a means of, of a legalism, self-exaltation. The word of God should not be used in that way, but in your heart in a way that comes from understanding. Look at this verse. Jesus said to the crowds and to his disciples, the scribes and the Pharisees sit at Moses' seat. So do, so do and observe what they tell you, but not the works that they do. For they preach, but do not practice. They tie up heavy burdens, hard to bear, and lay them on the people's shoulders. But they themselves are not willing to move with, uh, with their finger. They do all these deeds to be seen by others for they make their phylacteries broad and their fringes that tie those things long. They love their place of honor at the feasts and the best seats in the synagogues, greetings from the marketplace being called rabbi by others. Jesus is telling you, let the word of God sink in and characterize all of your life, especially the discipleship of your children, not as just a means of just duty. So parents, this is your responsibility Thanks for listening. I hope it blesses you. And we're done with this passage and we'll move back into Luke. But listen, let this word characterize your life. Follow it. It will give you life and it will teach you how to do what God has called you to do. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. And I pray, God, that uh, in, this, uh, in this, just a lot of information from your word, Help us to go back home and to meditate on it. Help us to sit with it just a little bit longer so that we can learn and grow once again. Stretch us in this way. Grow us in this way. We don't want to be the same. We want to be changed and stretched. We can take an hour to really do anything in our lives. We can scroll through our Facebook posts and lose an hour in, with, without, without blinking an eye. 
We can, we can do a lot of things for an hour. One hour a week may just produce the life in us that will save our souls and save our families. I pray that you would use this past hour that we've spent in your word for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to this resource from the Field Church in Mandeville, Louisiana. We pray that it helps you joyfully make Jesus Christ your treasure. 